So training women in this ministry is terrific. Now, because she's uh, not in this room and uh, won't hear the tape because she doesn't listen to the tape, she'll say, my dear wife trained and committed herself to me and allowed me to do an enormous number of things that and freed me for conferences and the like. Um, uh, for ten, in a 10-year period, I lived at one conference centre for six months, uh, given the number of conferences I went to. Maru, if you ever know Maru, and that's something else. Um, uh, same diet every week for six months. A year. Um, but Helen freed me to do that, as another wife may not free a man to do it. But more than that, she raised three children, all of whom uh, are active in Christian ministry and married uh, and, and raising now our 12 children to love the Lord Jesus Christ. It's her work, not mine. She read the Bible to them every day. She was the one who taught them the, way, the ways of the Lord. She's the one who modelled it and trained them and, and raised them. But at the same time, because the three children were not too much of a trouble, um, she continued to run Bible studies. And uh, thousands uh, of women have been in Bible studies with Helen over the last 40 years. So she has had an extensive ministry, though that one was always a secondary ministry to what she saw as her primary ministry. But her primary ministry enabled her to do that secondary ministry as well. So to spend time training a woman for that ministry is in no way a waste of time, effort or energy. She may not wind up in paid ministry She's winding up in tent maker ministry, her husband being the tent maker. And that's, worth, that's worthwhile doing, very worthwhile doing. So I'm for training women, but I want to know that they are heading into theological training as soon as the two years are over. That's, that's their default position they're going to. They're not going to, after two years with me, go and do two years working as an accountant in London and then spend two years working... Uh, if that's where they're at, they're not with me yet. Right? And it is different. The actual training of women is also a different thing, but that's another question. Right? Where am I getting up to? come back to. Okay, so the decision making about bringing people on and putting them in MTS is the key. The next thing is the theological college or Bible college to go to. Now, you only get one, most of us only get one bite at this cherry and therefore I'm for taking the biggest bite that you can possibly get. So I'm for going to the best theological college that, are, that is available to me to get the best theological training that is available to me. And while I'll talk for a moment about a compromise that's worth making, by and large, there's no compromise worth making. <laughs> by and large, you want to get the best that you can. Because what those three, four years will do for you is create the launching pad for the rest of your life's theological reflection. You, you've got to free yourself from the way in which we think about most education. That is, I go and do a degree so that I'll never have to think about it again, but I can go and get a job. The aim of theological education is to get the basis upon which you can then spend the next 30 years, 40 years, whatever it might be, thinking and developing your understanding of the Word of God and the nature of God. If you don't know more five, ten years out of college than you did as you came out of college, then college has failed you and you have failed college. Now, if you go to a Mickey Mouse college, you will learn enough to stay where you are. To actually learn enough 
to push further requires you to go to the best college, the one that's going to stretch your brains to the maximum. That's where you need to go. So learning Greek, learning Hebrew, I just take it as a mandatory. I just think that's the expectation. God spoke the Bible in Greek and Hebrew. You just need to learn these so that you can actually read the Greek and Hebrew text so that you can actually read the commentaries that are on the Greek and Hebrew text so that you can think deeply and further about it. The further you go in your basic theological college training, the further you will be able to go for the rest of your life. Uh, have you ever heard a middle-aged preacher who is totally boring? It's because he didn't do his work at theological college in the first place. Could be because he's also a boring person, but it's usually because they haven't thought a thought since they left college. They're still recycling the stuff they were taught 10, 15, 20 years ago. If you're still recycling stuff, it's boring, frankly. Uh, it just doesn't work. You've got to be the kind of person who's going to expand in your understanding. And the only way I know to do that is by getting a really good college course in the first place. But it depends, and here's the concessions I'll make, it depends in part on what ministry you're going to go and do, what activity you're going to be engaged in in the doing of it, in particular with whom you're going to do it. Because each of the institutions that employ people in Christian ministry have their own training regime and they want to cultivate in culture people in their own particular tradition and way of doing it. And if you're going to work with them then it is important to be developed by them and to be in partnership with them. And so there are differences that you may choose for the cause of what you are aiming to do. So, uh, I've got to try and think. Um, uh, have we got Baptists here? No, okay. Um, if you really want to work in Baptist ministries, you can go off to Reformed Theological College, you can go to the Presbyterian College in, uh, in Melbourne, you can go to Moore College, and after that, go and offer yourself in, to Baptist ministries. Because of the, the church government system of the Baptist church, they may well accept you. Uh, on the other hand, they may not, and I wouldn't blame them if they did, because after all, why should they have a Presbyterian being a Baptist minister? I mean, why didn't you come and train with us if you want to be a Baptist minister? Seems a perfectly logical question for me to be saying. And how will we know to trust you? How can we entrust a congregation, one of our congregations, to your care? We don't know you. We only know the Presbyterians in Victoria say that you are a good person. And do we trust the Presbyterians in Victoria? After all, they're not Baptists, so what would they know? So <laughs> you can, it's perfectly appropriate. If you're going to be trained in for a particular ministry, you need to look and see, well, what is the training requirement of that particular ministry and see how to fulfill it. Sometimes it is so low or so poor you need to be creative in thinking how you're going to do it. So you go off to a really good college for four years and then you offer to go to their college for the next two years to do a master's or something or other so as to fit into their system. And it's just a longer work. Sometimes you need to say well this, their, their uh, ministry is not worth doing. I will go to another one. I'll take a different ministry. Yeah? The, the price is too high. I think that's the truth. 
with liberal theology. So if you want to be a minister in the Uniting Church, we've got anyone from the Uniting Church here? If you want to be a minister in the Uniting Church, you'll have to go to a college that will not teach you the Bible, will teach actually against the gospel of the Lord Jesus. I don't know any Uniting Church college in Australia that would train people in the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ and the scriptures. That being so, I think I wouldn't be a Uniting Church minister. I think the price is too high to pay to be able to go there. Uh, that's true with Anglicans in certain dioceses. If I want to go to certain dioceses, certain cities of Australia, uh, I have to go to their college. If I went to their, it's not worth it. Uh, I'll go and try and evangelise that city in a non-Anglican fashion, <laughs> rather than corrupt my understanding of God's word in order to go into their system. Because if I've got to compromise on my theological education, I can assure you they will be asking me to compromise on the ministry that I exercise afterwards. It's just not worth it. Now that brings you then to that point that was raised, well, are there absolutes? That, what about the ideological differences? How much flexibility do you have or not have with your agreements and even on the subject of church governance, for example? Uh, Every person is ultimately answerable to God uh, in their hearing of the Word of God and their teaching of the Word of God. If in your understanding of the Word of God it is sinful to baptise babies, then there's no point being a Presbyterian. There's no point being an Anglican. I mean, that's, you're going to be required to do it. And if that's what they think on this particular issue, then that must be symptomatic of a bigger theological issue that lies behind it and a whole range of theological issues because no, no kind of theological truth sits by itself it all sits as part of a system and so if you've got something like that that you fundamentally disagree with you can rest assured there'll be other parts of the system that you also disagree with and life is too short to try and convert the Anglican denomination <laughs> the Lord will return long before you get very far in that kind of track. Just forget it. Furthermore, there are loads and loads of Australians who don't give, a, don't give anything for an Anglicanism. And they need the gospel. In fact, they're more reachable than those who claim to be Anglicans. So why be an Anglican? It's just daft. There's loads of gospel ministry to be done. We are a rich country in the sense that we've got so many alternatives for us. And if you can find none, no alternative where what you believe is consistent with what they are doing, can I suggest there's something wrong with you? You know, when the whole world is out of step with you, maybe you need to change step as a possibility that you might just like to consider. Because there are so many different alternatives we have from the Reformed Church, from the Presbyterian Church, from the Baptist Church, from the Brethren Churches, from the Anglican Churches, and the non-denominational church, the Independent Church, and the Fellowship of Independent Evangelical Churches. It just goes on and on, the options and alternatives that are available to us. But you will need a certain degree of flexibility in any context in which you go to. And so you do need to be able to work out the core values and biblical understandings that you have that really are non-negotiable for you. And the expressions of it 
that don't matter. Now, adiaphora is the technical term, which is a, a, a wrong thing in my view. That is, that there is a list of, I will never negotiate on that, and there are a list of, it doesn't matter things. The trouble is, the it doesn't matter things ultimately express the things I'd never compromise on. Uh, take circumcision. In chapter 6 of Galatians, Paul says circumcision is neither here nor there. Doesn't matter if you are, doesn't matter if you're not. In chapter 2, he says, we stood for the truth of the gospel and wouldn't allow Titus to be circumcised. How can something that doesn't matter be a matter of the truth of the gospel? <laughs> because anything could be a matter of the truth of the gospel, uh, given its context. So there is no list of these things will never matter. As an Anglican, our great hero is a strange man, Archbishop Cranmer, who was burnt at the stake. For us Protestants, he was burnt at the stake for justification by faith alone. But actually, if you look at the records, he was burnt at the stake for his refusal on a transubstantiatory view of the Lord's Supper. They're the same thing, actually. <laughs> If you believe in justification by faith alone, you will not see the Lord's Supper as the way of salvation through transubstantiation. But he wasn't technically burnt for this. <laughs> he was technically burnt for that. And so it is with all issues. Ultimately, they can be traced back to a theological difference. But many of them, that's not what people are arguing for. Uh, I occasionally wear ecclesiastical robes. If people say, I must, in order to function as a priest, I won't. But if people say, you know, those long robes fit in with the long columns of the uh, cathedral and it just looks better, well, who cares? If it looks better, it looks better. Anything that makes me look better has got to be better than what <laughs> I am. I, I put on a robe. What, what's the difference? So it depends why people want me to do what it is that I will or won't do. For remember, Paul is massively flexible in 1 Corinthians 9. Uh, to the Jew, I become as a Jew, to reach the Jews. Because my feelings about whether I want to be wearing silly dresses or not are in irrelevance. Their salvation is what matters. So if, if me being embarrassed will lead to somebody else's salvation, Embarrass me all you like. Doesn't matter to me. So there is that flexibility that you need to have within any system that you work on. Different people have a different capacity for flexibility. The person who is really flexible has the great capacity for going into heresy. The person who is really rigid has the great capacity for having a church in a telephone booth with their wife standing outside listening in. <laughs> There's the consequence of your levels of flexibility. Um, either way, you, you know, it's not a holy huddle when the only person there is you, unless you've got a multiple personality. <laughs> Which some very inflexible people, I wonder. So, you go to the best. But I take it I'm inflexible on an evangelical best. Right? So the whole, and again, Australia's so rich. We have so many good colleges around. In, in Sydney alone, the Presbyterian College, the Baptist College, the Sydney Missionary and Bible College, Moore College, 
all are fundamentally, profoundly evangelical colleges teaching the word of the Lord Jesus Christ and honouring him as the, as the saviour. Now, there are differences, but your Christian life is not put in any jeopardy going to any one of those four colleges. I mean, that, that's, that's incredibly rich. That's in that city, but that's across Australia. Um, that there are, there are loads of good colleges to go to. But I would never compromise on that, on, on going to a Bible-believing college. That's, that is intolerable and it's unnecessary. Okay. I've got some more questions. I've still got a couple more plays to go. Uh, are you still on board? Right, I'll just keep going with the logic of it then. Um, when you come out of college, different systems function differently as to your training after college. Some, as soon as you come out of college, you're put in charge of a church. If that is the best way to train you, then that is a good thing. If that is a desperate manpower shortage, that is a way of burning out young ministers. So are they doing it for your good or are they doing it for uh, their needs? Really is the question I, I want to have in that regard. There's also personalities. There's a lovely bloke who's uh, worked in the cathedral, is now in ministry. From the moment he left college, he just wanted to be in charge of things. He can't help himself. He just is like that. What's more, he will do it brilliantly. So he's had to go and spend two years as an assistant minister. He's so godly, he's put up with it. But that's what he's done. He's put up with it. Because all he's wanted to do, he's now taken on um, uh, one of the hardest parts of Sydney. Um, just a minute, I'm turning off the recorder again here. Should he spend four years in training like most of the Sydney Anglicans? No. He's the kind of person who needs to go quickly and get out there. That's, that's who he is as a person in my judgment. But most of the, our system is you're a system minister for four years or more in which you learn to minister before you learn another skill that is being in charge of a congregational and ministry. That's a big step up that one and the first year or two of actually being in charge most men find more difficult than leaving college and being in ministry. But that also has got to do with how Anglicans do it and our kind of governing system because in our system the rector is everything whereas in other systems the presbytery can be a, a, a different character and also the elders within it and just the teaching elder in it has different relationships responsibilities every system has its system but you need to look at the system to say are we actually doing this to help this minister this young minister to be a great minister in the years ahead or are we doing it because it suits us that's that's the question you may not be able to answer that you might have to say oh well they're doing it because they're using me but never mind i'll be used because that's the way i want to go to go in this system but at least understand that's what's happening um, when you choose then, which platform should you choose to go on? See, I don't believe any of the systems are actually God-given. I think they're platforms that have been created by different cultures over different places over different times. I love this. Here we are here with, with someone from an Anglican platform speaking to a bunch of people who have come from a Dutch platform and a Scottish platform. <laughs> 
That's where they've come from. God blessed those two nations and England with the gospel at different times and in those different times men and women of the, of the word created what they believed was the system that worked which most likely did for their day and age then transported it to another continent at the end of the world and here we are and it's all muddled and mixed in my view so every platform oh I've got to move faster every platform charges you to climb onto the platform no one is going to give you a platform without paying asking you to pay the price the price of entry might be you've got to do our theological college you've got to go through our training program you must wear those clothes you've got to use this book you've got to follow this constitution but the platforms provide stuff for you so if you say look I don't want to be at anybody's platform I'm going to build my own platform go ahead do it it's perfectly all right but it's going to cost you every bit as much because you don't have a constitution, you don't have rules and regular, you don't have, you don't have, you don't, you've got to create every one of those things for yourself. Whereas you walk on somebody else's platform, it's already up there. You, you start from a great height and a lot of those structures are already there sitting for you. So, but I think it's a choice of which platform. Uh, Non-denominational, denominational, independent. What you've got to say is what is the cost? What are the opportunities? Who am I? Yeah, if I'm a duchy, then of course I think, you know, it's got to be much to be in that kind of thing. If I'm, you, you naturally will gravitate to the one you've been raised in, converted in, or whatever. And that's a good thing. You'll most likely do better in that one than you'll do in cross-cultural change to another denomination. And so go for it. It doesn't matter, provided it's not going to restrict your opportunities for gospel ministry. I don't think it matters much. Frankly, as an evangelical, I'm happy to use it. Uh, are we driven by needs or by opportunities? I think by opportunities. But the opportunities are going to be gospel-minded opportunities. And so, it's not that... Yeah, you've got to look for... See, God in his sovereignty will call people where he wants to call them and whoever they are. So I mustn't think, oh, I need to preach to the middle class because that's the opportunity. Uh, no, God will call whomever he wishes. And rich young rulers, by and large, are the hardest to see into the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus says. So going to Auburn's not a bad idea for a rich young man, frankly. Okay, now let me go through some of the questions that I haven't answered. I've answered a lot on way, haven't I? Uh, tell people... First impressions, yes, done. Uh, enthusing people towards the ministry. Uh, I think we've got to preach much more fiercely against the materialism of this world. And we've got to preach much more about the cross and call people to do it. Um, uh, there's a great reluctance for people to take leadership. In 1 Peter chapter 5, we mustn't do it reluctantly. We've got to do it gladly. But we've got to actually get people to understand the cross more clearly. Uh, the balance of... Uh, ministry gifts and relational uh, willingness uh, is uh, how do you get people relationally willing is by being relational with them how do you manage the individual call I've done for the church planting ministry and sustaining my problem is there's hardly any church planters in Australia they all talk about church planting but it's not church planting what they're talking about is church founding because they want to plant a church that they continue to be the pastor forever I met a church planter from Zimbabwe in three years he'd planted 17 different churches in different villages and after each one he then got some pastors to take that's a church planter a man who's planting 17 churches in three years he's a church planter we could import him he'd be worth having 
But most church planters in Australia plant one church, the church they're going to be the pastor of. So I don't think they're church planters, I think they're church founders. Nothing wrong with being a church founder, but it takes some of the sexy style off the edge if you're a church founder. And uh, uh, a stable family and ministry. The history of Christian, uh, the history of Christianity in Australia is quite fascinating. This statistic is now 30 years out of date, but 30 years or so ago, you had a 10 times greater chance of being in Australia's who's who if you came from a ministry family than if you didn't. Many of them for infamy as well as for fame. <laughs> but the great list of people from ministry families in Australia is phenomenal uh, once you actually start toting them up. I mean, Bob Hawke. Uh, is not someone that you particularly wish to see as the claim for fame, but of course his father, his grandfather, both ministers of the gospel. And ministry families have been the places of education, culture. It is the, the great place to raise children. They learn to be hospitable. They learn to relate to adults. They have hundreds of uncles and aunts. My children have got so many honorary uncles and aunts traveling around this world. They can go anywhere and get help from anybody at any time because they just have so many honors. It is the best place to raise children that I know. So have confidence. The missionary kids have a different mindset than any other Australian. You can always pick missionary kids because they have a breadth of view that the narrow myopic kind of Australian child just doesn't have. Um, but they are different and you do have to allow for that <laughs> difference of character. I've got a few here I can feel. And you do have to allow for that difference of character because that is the case. In terms of um, uh, the pragmatism of the system versus ideology, as absolute deal breakers, yes. Wisdom of full time uh, with a seriously ill wife, yeah. It's not just a seriously ill wife, I'd even put it further back than that. It's a decision the couple have to deal with. So. Again, I'm going to turn the tape off. Uh, oh. Sorry. Old men get emotional. Sense of call I dealt with. Uh, transforming the neighbourhood and the party and keeping the gospel straight, yes. I'm sorry. I think Tim Keller's leading us in the wrong path. Uh, he doesn't mean to. He's a very fine man. He's been hospitable and lovely to me. He took me to his home and gave me meals. We've talked and laughed together. He's a great teacher of the Word of God and a great leader of God's people. But on this subject, he's completely wrong. Um, his exposition of Jeremiah 29 as seeking the shalom of the city utterly misunderstands what Jeremiah is about. The city that he is seeking to uh, have peace is Babylon, which is the city of sin that is going to be destroyed in just a couple of chapters later. God's purpose and intention for Jeremiah is not its shalom, it's its total destruction. And to have that as the model by which you now should seek the welfare of New York totally misses the point. Uh, it's, just, it's just completely wrong. And the whole... Uh, Sure, we must concern for the poor. That is always our concern, but that is not what the gospel is about. The gospel is about saving people eternally. Uh, it is a different focus, and I'm sorry, it's, it's a very serious misleading that is happening, to which I haven't spoken and preached much about because he's a great brother, 
uh, he's a greater man than I am and he's got loads of wonderful things for us to teach and to learn and because I thought it wouldn't have much impact here which is I think now wrong because I'm getting more and more questions along this line and they're all coming from the same place and it's a serious error uh, and I'm now starting to see evangelicals turning away from preaching eternal salvation into trying to redeem the city of Sydney. The only way you can redeem the city of Sydney is to have people born again by the Spirit of God and come to repentance and faith. I'm not redeeming the city of Sydney by making its streets safer to walk down. That is not redeeming the city of Sydney. That is just continuing to stop people. So I, I think we've got a big problem coming up as an issue that really needs to be wrestled with. Missionary organisations I did, why delay going into ministry? Are there reasons for delaying going into ministry? Uh, not many that I know. Uh, one of the things I think is people need to show they've got stickability. So I was always loath to encourage anybody to leave their university course to go into ministry. Because if you can't stick out a three-year university course, you're not going to stick out a 40-year ministry. So I want to see that people can stick out. I'm not interested in getting the degree. It's completely irrelevant to me. Um, <laughs> but I, mean, I renounced my degrees years ago. I think university degrees are paving stones to hell. I, I think they're a complete waste of space. But I'm interested in people's stickability. And so I've only about twice have I ever encouraged someone to leave, both of them in medicine. Uh, Peter, Blau, Peter Bolt, who's a great lecturer at Moore College, a great writer, he did five years of medicine at, Sydney, at New South Wales University and withdrew from the sixth year uh, because he knew that once he passed the sixth year they would encourage him to stay on in hospital and then that and, and so he walked away from New South Wales University with five years of medicine without a degree, without any qualification. Most people don't even know he was ever there. Uh, now he's gone and got a PhD from London University in New Testament but you know Finishing the course was stupid for him. Um, so there's one or two like that, but nearly all of them I'd say, no, I want to see you with enough maturity that you've got the stickability to finish a course. That, that, but it's the, it's the stickability and durability that I want to see rather than which course he's done, which I, I think, you know, I've got a degree in geography. Um, and we've been going down the ministry track. I've done all those questions en route and during the course of the next 24 hours you can ask me any other ones you want to and lunch is calling, isn't it, brother?